Thanks so much for coming. It's good to see all of you guys here this morning. If I haven't had the opportunity to meet you yet, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the, the opportunity today uh, to introduce us to week four of a series that we've been in called Mind Monsters. Now, if this is your first time with us, man, we're really, really glad that you're here. We love new people. We get excited about new people. Uh, so much, in fact, that we would like to have the opportunity to meet you, uh, and we want to give you a gift. So here's how all that takes place. If you'll take just a few minutes during your time with us here today to fill out the bottom portion of the program that you got when you came in. Uh, We call that a connection card. If you'll take your connection card to the hub, that's the area just inside the doors as you came in, uh, we have a gift there for you. Again, that's just our way of saying thanks for spending some time with us. We love new people, and we're really, really excited that you're here. So if this is your first time, take your card to the hub, and we have a, a gift there for you. Now, If this is your first week um, and you haven't been here for the the beginning part of the series, you haven't missed uh, anything that's going to make today irrelevant to you, but we do encourage you uh, to go back and listen to the podcast if you weren't here. In week one, we talked about the mind monster uh, of pride, this thing that that eats away at us from the inside out, this monster that that torments our minds called pride. Uh, And then week two, we talked about anger, uh, and we talked about the difference between righteous anger and, and sinful anger and how we control both and how we kind of navigate through some of those things. And then last week, uh, we had a, a friend from inside of our own family here, Cameron Park, came and did a fantastic job last week talking to us about the mind monster of depression. And we talked about a lot of ways that we can overcome this, this perpetual sadness that we sometimes find ourselves in, even as followers of Christ. And today... I want to talk about uh, a fourth mind monster. And before I get into to what it is, I want to set it up a little bit. And here's how, here's how I want to set it up. Um, I'm, a, uh, I'm a bit. I say a bit. It's, it's a very small margin. It's fractional. Uh, I'm a bit of a handyman. Um, I like to fix things. I like to, to repair things. I, I do some, some, some house remodel stuff and, and that kind of thing. I, I enjoy that kind of thing. Uh, it's, it's, it's a passion of mine. I, I enjoy it. I'm not terribly good at it, but I enjoy it. Now, now before, I, before I started doing uh, more stuff for other people, in my own life, I, I had this tendency uh, for, for several years, um, I like to rig stuff up. Uh, it, just make it work. All right, like whatever it takes, I mean, if, if it's broken and, you know, and I want to fix it, anything that will make it work, like let's just do that, right? That was, that, that was kind of my MO for the longest time. Um, and then I started noticing that when, when you just rig something up, when you, when, I like to call it not rigging up, let's that's, that's go a little more PC. Um, when you creatively engineer something, that sounds so much smarter, doesn't it, right? And when I creatively engineer something, What I find is that I have to go back over and over and over to fix it. If you don't do it right the first time, if you creatively engineer it, if you rig it up, you have to go back over and over and fix it and then refix it and then refix it and even a word, right? If you fix it, you don't have to refix it because there's no such thing as refix. There's only fix or not, right? It's it's yes or no. It's black or white. You can only fix or what you did was not fix but, but rig, right? And so... I started to notice this in, in my own life, and then a friend of mine, a single mom, bought a house, and she needed a lot of work done to the house. And so she asked me to, to come over and, and, and to fix some things at her house. And so I did. So I, I agreed. She needed some help, went over to help. I asked her if I could tell this story, by the way. Um, now, quick sidebar. Uh, 
we'll get back to the message in a minute. If you're a friend of mine, there's a really good chance that any interaction that you and I have could one day become a sermon illustration. All right, just that's all cards on the table. Like I'm trying, like they went my friends list, like like unfriend, like and Facebook is lighting up right now. Like we're done with Brian. Like no more. I don't want to be a sermon illustration one day. Um, but this friend whose, whose house I've been working on for, for the last year or so, um, whoever lived there before, apparently was a professional creative engineer, right? He did a lot of rigging, a lot. Everything in this house that I have touched, everything that I've gone back to fix, everything that she wanted upgraded or changed or just looked at or anything, everything falls to pieces and I so this is how it typically goes in my house right this is what happens this this friend of ours she will call and she'll say hey Brian can you come over and look at my sink I, I, my, my sink's not working or my sink's leaking or I need a new you know, new sink can you hey if I buy a new sink can you come over and put my new sink in and that was the last thing that we did yeah yeah I'll come over and put in the new sink for you no problem like new sink like you know cut the caulk pull the old one out unpipe it you know put the new one in pipe it back up caulk it I'll be there like hour hour and a half and so at my house when I get the call I look at my wife Erin and say hey look uh, our friend I won't use her name to protect the innocent um hey she she just called and she wants me to come over she's got a new sink she just wants me to throw in a new sink for her real quick I like I'll be there like an hour like I'll just go over Saturday morning first thing I'll knock that out and we still get the rest of our day like no big deal and then I get there, and the, the gentleman who owned the house before, for, I don't even quite know how he rigged it up, but for somehow or another, there were three or four random-sized pieces, blocks of wood that were holding the sink in place because the backside of the entire cabinet had rotted out, and so he had creatively found a way to get the, his sink to stay in the thing. And so what was supposed to be like, oh, yeah, I'll run over there real quick and throw in a sink, and I'll be home in like an hour, hour and a half tops, turns into, hey, it's 10 p.m., and uh, we're going to have to come back on Monday because we had to replace the entire countertop and new. Uh, it's terrible, right? And, and here's what I'm learning as a handyman. If you try to fix something in a way that it wasn't designed to be fixed, you're just going to have to go back over and over and over again and fix it again and fix it again and fix it again. If you'll just do it right the first time, then you don't have to go. If you don't rig it up, if you do it right, you don't have to go back and do it again. And then you can have a lot of confidence in using whatever it is that you fixed because you know that you fixed it correctly. Now, there's stuff in my old house where my wife and I used to live. I'm I pray for the new owners. Like, we sold the house, and I'm like, there's going to be a day that he's going to find that thing that I did, and he's going to say, what in the heck did this idiot think? Like, he's going to be saying all the things about my house that I've been saying about my friend's house that I've been working on because I was a professional rigger. Like, it's just what I did. Now, here's why I tell you that story. See, you and I, we have a design for our lives. There's a way that our lives are designed to work. And the reason that I say designed is because the way that you were created, the way that you think, the way that you function, the way that you interact with other people, all of that that's a part of you was created by a designer. There's a design to it. Now, in the church and as believers, we, we know that designer to be our heavenly father, God, our creator, who designed us 
to work, designed our lives to function in, in a specific way. But oftentimes, what we will do in our infinite and godly wisdom, right? In, all, in everything that we know because we know everything, right? Here's what we'll do. We will figure out a way to make our lives, hey, just make it work, right? Get a little bit stressed out. I got a solution for that. And then we figure out a way to, to get rid of the stress or to alleviate the sadness or make us feel better. We, we, we find something Maybe not the right thing. Maybe we don't do it the the right way, but we rig it up. We find something that will sustain us, make us feel a little better for just a little bit of time. And and we rig up our lives instead of fixing our lives according to the design that was intended for it. And when this happens, on a repeated basis... What we end up with is the mind monster that I want to talk to all of us about today, and it's this. The mind monster of addiction. Now, here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to say, oh, Pastor Brown, I'm not addicted to anything. This message ain't for me. And then check out. (laughs) Oh, he's preaching to all those addicts that go to our church. Doesn't apply to me. It, It does, and here's why. You see, addiction is never the goal. If you want to write this down, this is going to be our big idea for the day. Addiction is never the goal, but it's often the result. In other words, nobody ever woke up on like a Tuesday and they're like, you know what I should do? I should get myself an addiction. Like, that'll be fun. Like, I haven't done that yet. Like, we got the car, we got the house. The only thing missing is an addiction. Hey, baby, let's get us an addiction. Nobody ever has that thought. Addiction is never a choice. It's never something that we get into intentionally. It always happens by accident, and it always happens before we know it. Now, that's a pretty common figure of speech. Oh, like before I knew it, I was, and fill in the blank, right? Like it's just something that we use. It's this common figure of speech. But today, I think it has a little more pertinence to the conversation than than maybe we typically use that phrase of speech. Because addictions happen before we know it. And it may be that we have people all around us saying, hey man, you should probably maybe think about, I notice there's this, there's a little too much. And all of these conversations where people are trying to warn us and trying to tell us that there's something that they see happening in us that looks unhealthy to them. Or maybe it even feels or looks unhealthy to to yourself. And that's the nature of addiction. By the time you're addicted, it's, it, you're already there. And you need some, some pretty solid steps on how to, to get out of it. And so the reason that I say that this message is not just for people who are currently in addiction, but for all of those who are or are not in addiction is, is this. Because all of us are a few bad decisions away. All of us are, are a few, hey, I'll just rig it up for a little while to get me through this season. We're, 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 a, we're a few rationalized thoughts like that away from being in a place that we never intended to be. Because addiction is never the goal, but often the result. 
And so today what I want to do is I want to give you three ways that we can beat addiction. And that's beat addiction either because we're, whether we're already in addiction or not, or beat off addiction before it ever becomes a part of our lives. We, we, we can keep it at bay before it becomes a part of our lives. And I want to give us three ways that we can do that. So if you're taking notes and you want to write these down again, there's going to be three of them. Number one, three ways to beat addiction. Number one, we have to take it to God. Now that seems like such a churchy answer, doesn't it? I mean, Jesus, every, every time any pastor ever asks a question in church, like the answer is Jesus, right? Like who's the guy that died for our sins and saved our lives? It's Jesus. Like who's the guy that walked on water and taught us many miracles? Jesus. What's brown and hairy and stores nuts for the winter? It's Jesus. No, it's a squirrel, but we're in church, so it's Jesus, right? Like the answer is always Jesus in church. But, but, but I don't think we can, we can move past this conversation about how we, how we starve away or how we, we fight off addiction in our lives without first drawing our attention to the answer, the true answer, the, the number one top tier way to beat an addiction is that we have to put that at the place that it was designed to be placed, which is at the feet of our Savior. Paul said this, I, I, what I love so much about reading scripture, is that when I read this, and I know that it was written by God, that he used human authors to write it, is I get to see the humanness as they wrestle through the same things that I feel like I wrestle through on a daily basis. So, so the Apostle Paul, this, this great man of God who wrote probably two-thirds, according to most scholars, of the entire New Testament, this guy, Paul, this is what Paul said about his own Life. Let's read this together. Romans chapter 7, verses 15 and 16, and then we'll skip down and catch 24 and 25. Paul says, I don't really understand myself. For I want to do what is right, but, but I don't do it. Instead, watch this, I do what I hate. Anybody that's ever been in an addiction and tried to get out, they'll tell you that's a very true statement. It's not that I want to do it. As a matter of fact, I want to not do it. But I don't do what I want to do. I do what I hate, Paul says. But then he, he gives us some, some reassurance. So he says, okay, but, but if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. And Paul says, at least if I can recognize that this is a bad thing, then I'm agreeing that it's a bad thing. If I can recognize it as bad, I'm, already, I'm headed in the right direction, Paul says. And then he comes to this conclusion. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It's the sin living in me that does it. And in verse 24, he says, oh, what, what a miserable person I am. And he asks a question. I love this question. He says, who? Not what. You, you tracking? That the answer is not a what, but a who? Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So, again, if we're going to start a conversation about how we beat addiction and we say that the, the first step of that is to take it to God, that's, that's not just our go-to typical church Jesus answer. 
but it's, it's the real, true, and most powerful answer. You see, God desires to be our resource for the times that we feel lonely, for the times that we feel depressed or angry or prideful, like we, even the other mind monsters that we've talked about in this series. God wants to be our resource for that. God, be, God wants to be the one that we come to with those things. Because when we get into the presence of God and we place ourselves under his authority and under his control, under his lordship, when we do those things, the Bible is, is just filled with examples of how God provides for us in those instances. When we are faithful enough to submit ourselves to his lordship, that God provides for us in those moments what we need for comfort, for stress relief, for, for anxiety relief. To make us feel like we have a purpose. God wants to be our resource for those things. Some of you, some of you guys that have been hanging out with us know that I used to be a, I used to be a choir director at an old church, at a traditional church, and we we sang all of the old hymns. And one of the, one of my favorites was was "Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus." Do you know it? How many of you know it? How many, how many have heard the song? All right. See, that's what I love about this church. <laughs> like, we, we got some old school, like, so I love some hymn people, and we've got people, I have no idea what you're talking about. That's, that's awesome. I love, I, love, I love what God is, was doing in, in bringing us together as a family. Well, for those of you who don't know it, here's, here's what the chorus of that song says. It says, turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. And this is the line that I love. And the things of earth, will do what? What do they do, people who know it? They grow strangely dim. Turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his, I won't sing it for you, and look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You see, God wants to be our resource for all of those things that hurt. And the harder that life hits, the more that God desires for us to come to him for comfort, for reassurance, for encouragement, and all of those things that we need. God wants to be our resource for those things. So if we're ever going to beat an addiction, if we're ever going to keep an addiction at bay, to keep ourselves out of an addiction then we have to be careful not to, not to too often come to this, this secondary kind of rig it up type thing for our comfort or when we've had a hard day and I just need to relax a little bit. Like we got to be careful with those things. And, and we have to know that in place of those things that we could go to, that we have God who's always there for us that we can come to. He wants to be our resource. And here's, here's another great promise. Watch this. I love this. Philippians chapter 2. Again, this is Paul. Paul writing to the church at Philippi, he says this about God helping us to overcome these things. Look what he says. He says in chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, he says, Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you. You, you get that? That's good, right? That God, God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Did you, did you get it? Did you see it? 
That when, when we'll come to God, when we'll take our addictions, when we'll take our stress, when we take our anxiety, when we take our need for comfort or our need to feel alive or our need to be encouraged, when we'll take all of those things for God, that he then, watch, like, God, I'm coming to you because I don't have any power to do anything that pleases you. Like, God, I'm just, I'm at the end of my rope. My life is horrible right now. God, I'm just, I'm done. If we'll go to him instead of something else that could potentially lead us to an addiction. Look what he does. Look at the response when we work out the results of our, when we show the results of our salvation. Look what God does. He then gives us the power to do the things that please him. Isn't that a powerful promise? Okay, I guess I was the only one who thought, all right, good. We, that's all right. That's okay. That's all right. I get a little jacked up about scripture. I, maybe that's why I became a preacher. Like I, just, I get all excited and giddy about it. Like I got to go tell somebody, right? I just want you to be excited about it too because there are these great promises in the scriptures to us. That you don't have to bring one good thing to God. That, that's the thing that, I, that when, I, when I work with or counsel with or when I was an addict. Here's here's the great news. You don't have to have one good thing to bring to God. And God's like, that's all right. If you'll come at all and in any condition, here's what I'm going to do for you, child. I'm going to give you the power to do what pleases me, God says. That's strong. That's strong. If y'all don't, I don't don't like saying this when you preach because it almost, it kind of decredits everything else that you say. If y'all don't get anything else today, you got to get that. You got to get this. You don't have to bring anything good to God. You can bring your addiction. You can bring your stressed out, busted up, jacked up life. And God said, that's all right. Here's a little power for you. Here's a little strength for you. Here's a little bit of encouragement for you. I'll help you do the things that give me honor and glory. Number two, if you're taking notes. If we're going to beat an addiction. We got to take it to God. Number two, we have to take it public. The devil wants nothing more than for you to feel so ashamed of what you are caught up in that you won't tell anybody, because sin grows best in the dark. That's where it likes to live, like a fungus. It grows best in the dark. James chapter five verse sixteen says this. It says, "Confess." your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful, look at this, results. You see, addiction isn't something that I get to talk about from a place of ignorance. Addiction is something that I get to talk about from a place of experience. And I could, I could go into the entire backstory of how I ended up in an, in an addiction to pornography. And I had all these great reasons for justifying it. But the reality is that I ended up singing Paul's swan song of the things that, there are things that I want to do that I don't do. And there are things that, that I do that I hate. That's exactly how I felt about it. But I had absolutely no control and no ability to get out of it. Let me tell you what was my key to being able to overcome an addiction. A friend of mine who was struggling with a pornography addiction walked into my office, sat down in my chair, and he said, I need your help. I'm addicted to pornography. 
See, I, I didn't even have the courage to tell somebody else. But in that moment, his courage to seek help and to take his addiction public gave me the confidence and the boldness in that moment to say, dude, me too. Let's beat this thing together. And we did. See, I was so ashamed. And I felt like nobody else would understand that I kept it hidden. And it continued to win. And it took somebody else having the courage to be public with their sin for me to do the same thing. We had this conversation just a couple of months ago in this church, and I believe that it's so true. When did it become such a shameful thing to admit our sin to one another as Christians? When have we become so scared of each other? When have we become so ashamed that we feel like that we're going to be rebuked and rejected and cast out and put away when we admit our sin instead of being healed and helped and comforted and encouraged? When did that change take place? When did the church stop being a hospital for people who needed some help? And become a place where we, we just walk in here and if you've got a sin, then we'll judge you for it, but don't ask for any help for it. But that's still not the way that the church was ever designed to work. And I don't believe that's the way this church works. And you've got to hear me if this is your first time or you haven't been here for a while. This is a safe place to not be okay. This is a great place to be jacked up because you fit right in with the rest of us that are still a little bit jacked up. And there are a lot of us that have come from some pretty, pretty crappy places. And we're doing a lot better now because we met Christ. And because we got ourselves around some other believers that believed in Christ too. And they loved us enough to help us instead of judging us. And that happens, and I hear countless stories of that happening inside of this church. So if you're new here, welcome. If you got problems, good. This is a place for you to get help. And that's the way that it has to be. But we've got to drop this banner of shame. Because the promise of the scriptures was this. That if we will confess our sins to each other. And pray for each other. That that's how you get healed. That's how you get fixed. But as long as you hide it. As long as you keep it a secret. As long as you refuse to tell anybody else because of the shame that you feel of, over what you've done. As long as you keep it a secret, there's no healing for that. Healing happens as the, from the result of confession. It's a result of confession. I love that James says that, that it produces wonderful results. As, as a former addict myself, here's the thing that, that made me want to quit over and over, was that I would, I would fall back, backslide. There's an old churchy term for you. Like, I'd get a little bit of victory, I'd be good for a few months, and then I'd mess up again. And I felt so defeated. And I felt like I couldn't get any traction in my life. Like this sin has me, I can't get away. And it's in those moments that we're most prone to give up. When I feel like I'm just beating my head against the wall, like I, I'm never gonna beat this thing. I'm never gonna get over this. I'm never gonna stop feeling this way. I'm never gonna stop losing to this sin that we give up. And how valuable in those moments would some wonderful results be? How awesome in those moments would a little bit of traction be? How often in those moments would it be so good for somebody to come around, no, 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 you're going to beat this, and you're not going to do it by yourself because I'm here. You can't hide it anymore. 
you're ever going to beat an addiction, you've you got to take it to God. You've got to go to the real source for help. And you've got to take it public. You've got to let somebody else know. We talk all the time here about the value of accountability. I'm telling you, that's how I beat my addiction. And that's how you can beat yours. Number three, if you're taking notes. Number three, you have to take it public. Then you have to take it down. You got to take it to God. You got to take it public. Number three, you got to take it down. There's, there's some intensity. You have to have some intensity about your life. In the Marine Corps, they talked all the time about some urgency and, intention, and, and some intensity. You got to have a little fire in your crawl, right? You, you got to have a little gravel in you. You got to want to fight it. And you got to have a plan. Tracking? It, it's not going to just happen. Like this is, this is one of the, the things I, I, I give Christians a hard time about. It's not that I don't believe in the power of God to do whatever God wants to do. But I believe this is a cop-out statement that a lot of Christians make. And if you've made it, I'm calling you out. Like, you ain't got to raise your hand and say, oh, I've said that. Like, don't do that. But I'm calling you out. Here it is. I'm just going to trust Jesus to fix it. God wants to help you with your problems. God wants to help you with your addiction. But you know how, you, do you know what God uses to do that? God uses our intentionality. God uses other believers to come alongside of us. God uses his word to speak to us. And God uses prayer as a way to, to influence our thoughts and our hearts. God uses those things. But if you're just waiting for God to do something that you're not seeking for yourself, I don't believe God gets very involved there. God responds to faithfulness with faithfulness. And God can just remove you from your addiction. He can. But I believe that it's honoring to God when we go after righteousness with everything that we've got. And if you continue to fall back into an addiction over and over, if you continue to, to lose to this thing that, that, that I hate what I do, but I do it anyway, like Paul said, if that continues to be the, the, the track record and the cycle of your life, then you need a plan. Something has to change, and it's not going to change without you making the decision to change it. I believe we have a responsibility in our efforts to get out of something like this. Yeah, God's going to help us, and he's going to provide strength and anchor. He's going to do all of that stuff. But, but I believe there has to be some intentionality in our lives as well. The writer of Hebrews said it like this. He said, no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. And everybody said, amen. And no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. Discipline hurts. Change is hard, and I don't want to do it. But afterward, afterward there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So take a new grip. I love the way that the NLT says this. Take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Get a grip. Hold on. Get a grip. Take a new grip with your tired hands. And then mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. Mark out a straight path. You know what that sounds like to me? It means make a plan. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Tell yourself where to go and then go. Like, just 
Make a plan. Have an intention in your life that if you want to submit yourself to the discipline that afterward produces a peaceful harvest of right living, if you want that, then here's how you do it. you got to mark out a straight path for yourself. you got to put some things in place to allow that to be the outcome. So, so let me ask all of us in the room, whether we're currently in addiction or not, what plans do you have in place to get out or stay out? What, what do you have on your phone that keeps you from looking at pornography on it? How, how much alcohol do you have in your house if you've at one time had a problem with it at all? If, if, uh, if food is your drug of choice, and what, what does your snack basket on the counter look like? What does is, what is the, the snack cabinet at your house look like if food is your weapon of choice for comfort? If... Uh, if shopping is the only thing that seems to make you feel alive, how, how, how many credit cards do you have? Now, here's the thing about all of those things. Right? None of those are inherently bad. Shopping, we all need clothes. Food, we got to eat. Like, see, here's the, here's the nature of addiction. Addiction can take something that could just as easily be used as a good thing and make it a bad thing. It can take a good thing and make it a God thing when it becomes an idol. When it becomes the thing that we go to instead of God, it becomes a problem. And so if right now, I hope right now, you're, you're kind of taking a mental evaluation of your life. and You're like, man, every time I, I, I just need to feel alive, I have to go shopping. If that's what it takes for you to feel alive, you probably need some some boundaries. We, we like to call them guardrails. You need some guardrails in your life to protect you from running to the mall every time you feel a little down. You probably need a few less Rice Krispie treats in the cabinet if every time you're feeling a little depressed, food is your go-to resource for comfort. And at the end of every hard day, if you just got to have a beer to relax, you probably don't need any beer in the fridge. You see, you got to have a plan. You got to have some, some things to protect you from unhealthy living. And none of that stuff is going to feel like fun at the time because no discipline seems fun in the moment. It's always painful. But it's worth it. It's worth it. So let me ask you again, what, what's your plan for, for beating addiction? What's your plan for staying out of one all together? Because this is the truth, church. Addictions are never the goal. They're often the result. Just a few bad decisions away. There was a, I had a... a a teacher, he was actually a Marine Lieutenant Colonel who taught my ROTC class. And um, he, he had this thing, he called them the, the, the six P's. Um, 
for the purposes of church world, I'm going to reduce those to the five Ps because one of them wasn't appropriate for a church talk. But, uh, but Colonel would say this. He said, prior planning prevents poor performance. If you got a plan, you'll perform better. Maybe you've heard this cliche that failing to plan is planning to fail, right? There's, a, there's another kind of catchy, aha, uh-huh, yeah. You got to have a plan. Because addictions, they happen before you know it. Before it's too late, it's already too late. So, so, so prior planning prevents poor performance. You got to have a plan. And if you don't have one, man, today needs to be the day that you get one. So here's what I want to do for us. I, I want to pray for all of us in the room this morning that God would help us to either beat what already has a hold of us or that he would keep us away from the things that so easily trip us up and weigh us down. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning it's, it's my hope that God, it's my hope that none of us in this room are, are, are currently battling addiction. But God, I can't help but to believe in a room this size that there's someone here right now or multiple people in this room that are currently trying to fight off something that has control over them other than you. And God, we know that you desire to be our resource for everything that gives us hope and comfort You want to be our resource for that thing that that restores us, that makes us feel whole again. So God, for any of us in the room that that have turned to something other than you for that, and that have done it so much, that that has now become our go-to instead of you. God, I pray that you would break those chains of bondage. God, I pray for healing this morning. James said that, that the prayer is effective, that the prayer of the righteous, God, that it produces wonderful results. And so, God, we pray this morning that those who are in addiction would be healed, that they would have the courage today, God, in response to the teaching and the truth of your word, to, to bring their addictions to you, God, to make you their resource for comfort and for strength and for encouragement, for sustenance. God, I pray that they would take it public, that they would let somebody else know so that there's a spirit of accountability. Father, your word word tells us that the truth will set us free. And God, when we stop hiding, when we stop lying, when we stop keeping things secret, God, that, that is so key to us finally finding freedom from those things that so easily entangle and weigh us down. God, for all of us in the room this morning that don't currently have a plan for getting out of our addiction or staying out of an addiction, God, would you impress upon our hearts the importance, the importance of aligning ourselves so closely with your son that, God, we'd have a plan to do so. God, I just can't help but believe we're not going to get there without one. So God, would you direct our paths? Help us to mark out a path ahead of ourselves that we can set our feet on. 
God, we desire for that path to lead no other place than the feet of your throne. God, we love you. We thank you so much that we have a help for ourselves in you. We thank you, God, that we can know you through Jesus, your son. It's in his name I pray. Amen.